I got four things I want to do uh, with you this morning. I am going to, we're in our global outreach. This is our final Sunday this uh, fall of our global outreach celebration. And I want to do four things with you this morning. First, I'm going to give you a brief message, and it's going to be 12 minutes long. That's the message. I'm going to set my timer. That's what I got. I gave myself 12 minutes, all right? Uh, And then after that, we're going to have a panel discussion here about global outreach. And we want to answer some of your questions about global outreach. I usually kind of give you the nuts and bolts of what global outreach is and try and uh, guess what might be your questions. But I don't want to guess this year. I want to know what your questions actually are. So that number's there. You can be thinking about it. You can text in your questions. And we're going to have a panel of people that will do, uh, will answer some questions for about 10 minutes on global outreach. Third, we're going to spend some time in prayer and praying for global outreach and some of our partners. And fourth, we're going to make our faith promise commitments. All right, you got that? All four things there. Uh, It's going to be an exciting day. Next week, we are starting a new sermon series called Exile, uh, what it is to live as Christians in an increasingly secular and divided world. And uh, that's going to be a five-week series starting next week through the uh, beginning of December. So we'll start that new series uh, next week. All right. Uh, Speaking of global outreach, I see Dennis and Jenny Duncan here, our partners, uh, some of our global outreach partners. We want to welcome you guys. We are glad you are here. And uh, I know taking a little bit of a break to get recharged, to go back to where God has called you to serve. And uh, we're privileged to partner with you. And I'm going to talk about you guys and people like you for the message. So 12 minutes, go. Here we go. Take your Bible out. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 1 through 12. I know, I said I wasn't going to preach Luke again until next year. But I'm going to do this one more message, and then we're not coming back to Luke until next year. Uh, because this one really fits with Global Outreach and today. If you're using your chair rack Bible, it's page 868. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Here's what the Word of God says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. 
as we look at this and uh, as we've been talking about global outreach, the question is, how does the message get out? How does this message of hope that Jesus brings get out? How does this message that God loves people, that he came and sent his son to die, that whoever puts their faith in him can be reconciled to their relationship with God their Father through Jesus Christ the Son? How does this message get out? I think in this passage we have the ways that this message gets out, and the first way this message gets out is this, some are called to go. The first way the message gets out is by people who actually go with the message. The passage starts out in verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus chose 72 and sent them. What's that mean? That means there was a 73rd that didn't get chosen. Probably a 74th, and there was probably a lot of people there. And he picked 72, and he sent them because some are called to go. Some are called to take this message and go cross-culturally and communicate this gospel to people who have not and often otherwise don't have a way and an opportunity to hear the message. Some are called to go. We partner with many of those who are called to go around the world. I had the opportunity at this, this week when I was at the network conference where we were just talking about Pastor Eddie was ordained, I had the opportunity to talk to some of these that we partner with that were called to go. I met with some we already partner with and, and some that were looking for us to partner with them. One I met with was Thierry Mugabe. And if you remember Thierry, he was here last year and he told his story. And Thierry was raised in a refugee camp for 20 years as a refugee from the Rwandan genocide. If you've seen Hotel Rwanda, you know what I'm talking about if you're familiar with what happened there. So he had to leave and he was a refugee for 20 years and then eventually his family was able to come through the lottery uh, refugee immigration system and come to the United States. And while he was here, he attended North Point Bible College because God had called him to go. And within the next couple weeks, as soon as Thierry gets his visa, he is going to be heading to Indonesia to take the gospel to people who have never heard because Thierry is called to go. Some are called to go. I just mentioned Dennis and Jenny Duncan, called to go. God has called them out of where they are, out of somewhat comfortable situations, and say, go, take this gospel cross-culturally to nations that have not heard. There are some who are called to go, and that's what Jesus is saying. This is how the gospel gets out to people who have not heard. There are some who are called to go. But if there are some who are called to go, it means this, that some are called to stay. Not everyone is called to go. And if you are not called to go, it doesn't mean you're second class. It doesn't mean, oh, well, I guess I didn't get picked. No, no, no. Some are called, hear that word, to stay. See, not everyone can go. If, in fact, if everyone went, it would be a problem. If everyone went, it would actually be counterproductive to the mission. 
Paul was a church planter in the first century, and he would go through cities in Europe and Asia, and he would bring this message of hope, and he would plant churches as he went. But you never hear Paul saying, now I've planted this church, now all you people leave this city and do what I'm doing and take it somewhere else, because that would be a problem. Because now that city is in the same situation it was before Paul got there with no believers there. No, he doesn't tell them to do that. He counsels them on how to grow a church and how to build a church and how to share this message in the place where God has put them because some are called to stay. They have to stay in that place in order to build the work. A couple of our partners, Chris and Cindy Stuckey, uh, Chris, uh, they, they came out of this area. Chris had a very successful chiropractic practice on the North Shore of Boston. They lived in the Winfield area, and, and they were there for many years, and then God called them to go. God said, you're supposed to sell your practice, close it down, and go. And then Chris and Cindy went, and right now they are ministering on an island off the east coast of Africa with almost no... Uh, representation and no, of the gospel, almost no believers on this entire island. And last month I got their newsletter and I'm reading through their newsletter and they had a few things at the top and I was reading them through, reading them through and, and then like the third or fourth entry it said the seeds of the church and I said, oh, I wonder what that is and I'm reading through the seeds of the church and it says we had five people come to Jesus, give their lives, were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, have been discipled to the point that they are living for Christ and resisting persecution. And my first thought was, Chris and Cindy, you buried the lead. Put that at the top of your newsletter. Because this is what you're there for. Now, if those five, Chris and Cindy said, all right, now leave the island. Go, go, you know, you're called, you go then the island would be in the same place it was before. That's not it. These are the seeds of the church. That the church, just as we sang about, would be born and birthed on that island and there would be a light and a representative of the gospel there. They're called the stay. Not everyone's called to go. Some are called to stay. But there's a link between those who are called to go and those who are called to stay. The ones called to go rely on the ones called to stay to provide. See, the ones called to go, they go to places where there are not churches and Christians there who can support them. In this passage, Jesus says, when you go to a place, you will rely upon the hospitality of other believers in that place to provide for you. But when many of our global outreach partners go, they're going to places where there are no other believers to provide for them. But it is believers that will be here that are called to stay that will provide for their needs. This is a biblical model. What we do at Mount Hope with global outreach, we didn't make it up out of our heads. This isn't some strategy we came up with and thought this works. This is in the Bible. Jesus says to these 72 that are going, you'll rely on the hospitality of other believers to provide for you because the laborer, in verse 7, is worthy of his wages. You're worthy to be provided for for the work that you are doing. In Romans chapter 10, Paul puts it this way, you know, they can't hear unless someone preaches and the preacher cannot go unless they are sent. Well, who sends them? It's those who are called to stay. They send them. This is what the Bible does. I would say it's, every, it's not just a model. It's not an option. It's a responsibility. I would go so far as to say it's an obligation that Christians who are called to stay are, provide, are called to provide for those who 
go. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is how the message gets out. This is how the gospel gets out. That we provide and we support one another so that the kingdom of God can spread. We are all called. Some are called to go. Some are called to stay. The ones who are called to stay are called to provide for those that go. And we are all called to pray. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. If I just gave you that statement without reading the passage, I wonder what you would put next. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, what would you put after the therefore? The harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work to do. There's not enough workers. You're overmissioned. Therefore, maybe you'd say, get out there and get working. Therefore, work harder. Therefore, you know, you, you don't have any time to waste. Go do it. But he doesn't. He says, therefore, pray. But I wonder what you would put after that. Therefore, pray that you don't get tired. Therefore, pray that you don't get burned out. Therefore, pray that your work would be multiplied. But that's not what he says. He says, therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers out into the harvest field. Pray that God would send more workers. I wonder how much time you and I spend on praying that God would send more workers out into the harvest field. This is God's solution. Because the ones that go and the ones that stay are both a part of the plan. How many workers are there in Burlington to take this gospel and communicate it to the community we're in? Well, we've got a few pastors here at Mount Hope. We've got, uh, I can think of Colin and Liz Harfield that are over at Anthem Church. They technically meet in Bedford, but they reach Burlington too. You got Kurt down Lexington Street, down at Heritage Baptist Church there. Um, you've got uh, Chase down at uh, the Church of Christ, down Cambridge Street. You got the open pastor at the Open Bible Church, the pastor at Fellowship Bible Church. Um, there's a few others. Let's just say all the Christian churches in town, you've got 12 or so pastors, ministers of the gospel. It's 24,000 people in Burlington, give or take. So 12 pastors, that's easy math, right? Just got to lovingly share the gospel clearly with 2,000 people each. And we can get there, you know, barring the fact that none move in, none move out, and it's a closed group, and we've just got that. And that's all you have to do, right? But that's not it, is it? We don't have 12 people, do we? We got 300 or so people here at Mount Hope in Burlington. Um, I don't know how many are in all the other church, but let's just say conservatively in Burlington, there's maybe a thousand followers of Jesus Christ. Well, now it's just 24 people that you just have to lovingly, clearly share the gospel message with. And that's a lot more manageable, and I think that's actually God's plan of how the gospel gets out. It's all of us. It's the ones that are called to go and the ones that are called to stay working together where we would send out partners and we'd say, you go, we'll support you and we'll do our work here because we have a church here. We have a gospel representation here and we have a job to do in this place. Maybe you're called to go and if you are, then you need to follow that call. But if you're not, you're called to stay and you have work to do here. And we're to provide and pray for those who are going. So Lord, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Continue to guide us and lead us as we proceed through this service. Help us to discern your call in Jesus' name.
Amen. All right, that's my time. Now we're moving to the panel time, all right? So I am going to invite to join me here, first of all, Pastor Marvin, who's going to moderate and facilitate our panel. If you could put that number up again to text the questions. And I am also going to invite Lynn Breitenbach, who is a Chi Alpha missionary to Boston University. Would you welcome Lynn with us? And Chuon Nui. Chuon is our global outreach director here at Mount Hope. Would you welcome Chuon here with us too? And we are going to try and answer some questions. Duncans, if I knew you guys were going to be here, I would have got you up here too. But we, uh, we are going to answer some questions. Uh, these questions you can text in. Those are coming from here. The Belmont location as well. They've got the same number. Um, and uh, they're going to be texting in uh, questions. Oh, sorry. Took your chair. Uh, they're going to be texting in questions and people online as well. We've got, if you don't text any questions in, we've got some questions we can fill in some time with. Uh, but I am interested in what you're interested in when it comes to global outreach. So, Pastor Marvin? We do have a lot of questions. <laughs> So we don't have enough time to get through all of your questions, but we're going to, over the next few weeks, we'll try to make sure we answer them in one way or the other, make sure you get the loop, and we'll get through that. But it's, it's always a wonderful time to celebrate global outreach and the work that God is doing. Chuon, you've been heading up this team. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it that's usually done behind the scenes. Would you tell us a little bit about how someone becomes a partner here at Mount Hope? Yeah, so they would seek pastor or me out, or sometimes we seek them out if we're interested in the places they're going in. And so uh, they submit uh, a questionnaire or application, uh, free form. We would like to find out about their experience, uh, their, their passion, their vision, their plans, uh, their gifts, things, and their calling. Uh, and we review that. We have a series of conversations call them interviews, but conversations to just get a sense of, a deeper sense of what they're going to be doing. Um, and then we, we look at a grid that we have, and uh, studies in, uh, say, 2018 showed that 11% of the giving to the church goes out as mission dollars, sent, get sent back out. But of that, other studies have shown that only about 3.5% goes to unreached peoples. So people where there's no Christians who could tell them about the gospel. So that would mean that's about four, four pennies for every thousand dollars that comes in goes out to unreached peoples. And my passion for unreached peoples is matched by the passion that Assemblies of God has and a number of other denominations as well. And personally, I'm very grateful to missionaries because in the early 1900s, um, missionaries went to China and my great-grandparents came to Christ. They didn't know any other Christian believers in their village. And, wow. and, and then they also brought my parents out of persecution and famine to Malaysia. So they protected that line. So I'm, mm. I'm here because of the missionaries. Wow. And so, so at Mount Hope, we want to shift the paradigm or flip the paradigm. So we commit 50% of our budget to the unreached peoples. 30% to those who have a growing church that need a little support and help, and 20% to people who have a lot of churches like in America. So we support uh, campus ministries, we support outreach to uh, 
people are trafficked in, into uh, the sex traffic in, in the U.S. and other ministries with, where there's people who could tell them about Jesus. That's great. Well, I want to get to finances in a little bit, but one of the questions that came in is, how do you measure success? And it's both of you can answer it. Maybe Chuon, you can answer it on our end uh, as Mount Hope. And Lynn, what does success look like for you on the campus? Yeah, so a lot of, uh, of our partners go to very difficult places. And so we don't track numbers, uh, but what we do is track their faithfulness and their progress. And so we realize that in those difficult uh, contexts, it takes a lot to plow the land to get it ready, uh, to then sow the seed and to water it and to bring in the harvest. Uh, so we look at their faithfulness. We ask them to submit an annual uh, update, a form that we have, and, and also we try to uh, connect with them periodically over the course of the year. And we understand that they have accountability structures in the denomination or in the mission agencies that, that, that send them out. So, so hello. There we go. Ah, I'm here. Um, I'm part of Chi Alpha Campus Mission uh, Ministries, which is the mission outreach of the Assemblies of God to secular universities. And so we have a national office that uh, we're accountable to, and then we have a district director here uh, that we're accountable to on what we do. Uh, but I measure success personally uh, through relationship. I, if I sit down with a, like I just sat down a couple weeks ago with Shidori, she's from China. She uh, became a Christian here in the United States and she's uh, going to Boston University. She and I sat down and I got to share with her a, a, a full, wonderful uh, presentation of the gospel. And she said, I have never heard it that way before. This is great. And I, that's success to me. And then will she stay for two three, four years and be discipled? And then will she graduate in, and become part of a local church somewhere and support missionaries and pray for missionaries and serve her church? For me, that's success. And the relationships that I build on campus, we look at numbers a little bit, but not, not really. It's, it's the faces and the names that we know on campus that are important to us. That's great. Well, let's talk finances a little bit because we talk about how we can be partners with our partners who are around the world. And a big part of that is supporting them financially. So what, is that, what does that look like? What does supporting someone financially look like? Why don't we just pay them a salary? You know, it, it goes back to a lot of history. In the 1850s, Hudson Taylor felt the call of God in his life to go to China. And, and he basically started the faith missions movement where he said, I'll go where you call God and I trust that you will provide my needs for my needs and you will move your people to support your work. And so um, no salary, it's, it's trying to raise funds from a lot of churches and a lot of family and friends. And uh, it's, it's challenging, but I think a side benefit is that, that it really is a test of their commitment. It's not just a job. It's not just an occupation, but it's a commitment to the mission. And, and it also uh, broadens the horizons of the many churches that they go speak to uh, who would not hear about work in 
in, uh, in Gujarat, in India, or in, in Algeria, or whatever, in the normal circles. But when they have missionaries come and speak to them and share about their ministry, their horizons broaden. And it also uh, enables smaller churches to, to pool their resources with a larger network to support missionaries. And so more missionaries get sent out to the field. It's also, for, for us, it's also a model of relationships. When we go to churches um, all over the country, uh, we get to know the people there. We spend a morning with them. They take us to lunch. We start hearing from them. Uh, we, see, we know faces. We know the pastor. And there's relationships built there. And so when I go on campus and I'm speaking to a pre-Christian student on campus, I can feel all of you standing behind me in prayer. And it's not, it, it isn't a glob of people, it's faces. And relationship is so important to us as missionaries. And um, that's, that's the big thing for me, at least. That's great. Well, one of the questions that we didn't get to ask earlier in, the, in, in our first service, someone here, we're feeling like God's calling us to go. Where do we start? Um, talk to us. Talk to us. <laughs> Pastors, talk to me. Talk to anyone in the Global Outreach team. Um, and we will try to work through with you what your passions are, your giftings. And there's different ways you can minister. You don't always have to be on the front lines. Some people have we supported who are Air Force pilots who decide to fly uh, propeller planes into the jungles to try to get uh, supplies to missionaries and also relief to, to the locals. And so there's a lot of ways you can get involved. So come talk to us, and there are some tools to help you work through that process. Um, I have, uh, I, I, I prepared for this, because I know, I know there are a number of people here in this room that are feeling a call, a sense. If you listen to a missionary and you're on the edge of your seat and you're something, something's happening inside of you, you don't know what it is, you need to pray. What is God calling you to do? If you um, if, sing a song like... Um, uh, like the songs we've sung this morning, especially the praise God, uh, praise Father, praise the, praise the Son, and you're going through that song saying, "I want to be a part of building your kingdom, God." You're start praying about it. Um, get uh, get a Bible and start spending time in Isaiah six one through eight. Isaiah six one through eight. Get a Bible and start spending time on Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty, and just spend some time on those scriptures. Go to Amazon and purchase the Live Dead Journal, a thirty day thirty days of prayer for unreached people. It is the most amazing missionary book. I and yeah, it's amazing. It's life changing. The Live Dead Journal. Um, get credentialed. Go with the Assemblies of God. They are the most amazing mission organization in the world, as Chuon is a wonderful representative of them. Do short-term missions trips. Pay, pray for missionaries. Support missionaries. Read biographies. Spend time with missionaries when they come. I think the most important thing that you can do is to get involved in outreach right now in your own community. And if the church doesn't have an outreach ministry, start one. Talk to Rick. Mm -hmm. 
and start one. Get into an evangelism class. Spend time with pre-Christians. Learn to control your fear by stepping out and being courageous. That may mean, if you are called to be a missionary, that means that you step over your fear and get to know your neighbors. They're in arm's length. Do it there. Do it in arm's length. I'm moving around here. I'm getting excited. Um, And again, tell someone. I think that's really important. I think most of us in this room assume that we're the ones that stay. Don't assume that. See if you're, pray. Don't dismiss it. Get some time with God and sit down and pray about it. And remember, it's not too late. We assume that it's going to be a young person that's going to be called into missions. It's not, it's not necessarily a young person. You could be in middle age, kids are gone, older, and maybe you feel like you missed a call earlier in life. It's not too late. Let's, let's do something about it. Let's talk about it. And let's see where God takes you here in the United States or overseas. All right, one final question. This is to all of us here. This is a question that came in. Your favorite mission trip and why? (laughs) So one one sentence, favorite mission trip. One sentence. (laughs) Well, it's easy for me because I've only gone to one mission trip. So that's to Bali. To Bali to work with uh, Don Butera and Jason Fuentes and their families um, whom we support. Uh, Swaziland, uh, when it was, it was Swaziland when I went. It's Eswatini now, uh, Africa, uh, to work with Heart for Africa and visit Jenny Falcon there as well on her ministry. I've taken uh, students, I can't do it in one sentence. Uh, we, we've uh, taken students every spring break uh, for the last eight or nine years, except for last year. Uh, seven years were in Haiti. And uh, it was just powerful, powerful ministry there. For me, it was Mexico. We got to go build houses for people who, we got to put up a whole structure in three days. So there we go. Very cool. All right. Well, as we're, as we're wrapping up this conversation, I think one of the best things that we can do as a, as a team, as a church, as people of God is to rally around our partners in prayer. Uh, first service, we talked a little bit about some of the emotional and spiritual and physical challenges they they a lot of our partners endure. And Chuan, you make, made this statement, as they're successful in their ministry, the challenges increase. And the attacks of the enemy and the attacks of people around them, those increase. And so the best thing you and I can do is to spend some time in prayer for our partners. So that's exactly what we're going to be doing in a moment. So let's do this. Let's all stand up, quick stretch. And as you stand up on both sides of the room, there, is, there are tables set up on that side, on that side, and on the altars here. On these tables and the altars, you'll find little prayer cards. Come up, grab one, and as you go back to your seats, form a group of three or four. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that card, we're going to read through it, and we're going to pray through it. So if you want to share with your little group what, which partner you have and what their needs are, we're going to take the next five to ten minutes to pray over our partners. All right, go for it.